the um, bronze silicone. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound Cinefam, a podcast for bibliophiles and cinephiles alike. My name's Avery, your book-loving, movie-loving host, and I'm excited to be back with you all to present another movie yet again for another week. Now, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, but mainly Instagram, I posted about movies that I'm excited to be watching this month, and so the movie that we're talking about this week is one of those movies. But before I get into that, what are we streaming this week? I finished The Imperfects. If you listened to last week's episode on Pearl, I began to talk about The Imperfects a little bit, just in terms of how much I enjoy it. And so I finished it this week. I also finished American Beauty, which I mentioned in last week's episode as well. And then I am going to begin streaming The Matrix. Now, I used to watch it with my dad, and that was like one of the movies that we bonded over, but I haven't seen The Matrix, the original Matrix, and the ones following since probably the last time me and him watched it together. I was recently looking up music in movies, and because I was doing an Instagram post for it, if you saw it you and you liked it, I'm glad. One of the scenes that um used like a really great song from the matrix and i was like oh my gosh i want to watch this so i am going to do just that that's what's next on my list and in terms of shows i'm re-watching shameless just for nostalgia purposes it's something i can put on and watch while i'm doing work and such so yeah it's a it's an easy watch but i also i do love that show I think it there's just a rawness about it and you know the eight seasons it's really long but you grasp the emotional connection that not only the characters but the actors that play them have with or throughout the eight seasons that are there so yeah that's what I'm streaming now I'd love to know what you all are streaming so don't hesitate reach out to me on my Instagram, my t- my TikTok, my Twitter, and, and tell me about what you're watching, what you're hating, what you're loving. A lot of great movies have come out and are set to come out in the upcoming weeks. So, you know, let me know. Now that we've got that important news out of the way, let's get on to the more important stuff. If you are on my Instagram, you would see that I was talking about movies coming out this month and the ones that I'm excited about. And one of those is the 2022 release of The Woman King, which was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, And it was released September 16th. I was waiting on this one because I love Viola Davis. I loved how you can get away with murder. And, uh, I mean, all the other stuff that she's really been in, she just puts her whole back into. So, I was excited to see her take on a different sort of role than she has done in the past. And I think it's safe to say that she did not disappoint. Now, going into this movie, I knew that it was historical fiction and that it was supposed to be a telling of the Agoji in Africa, which is the all-female tribe that served the king of Dahomey, but I have been hearing that it's not historically accurate. Me not being 100% educated on history, especially when it comes to um, the African diaspora, I am not... Me talking about this movie in this episode is going to be talking about the movie specifically, any historical relevance anything like that i'm just that's not part of this conversation because i don't want to get any facts messed up so what i really do want to focus on is the actors the characters and just the overall meaning
representation and significance of this movie. I, I did have high expectations for this movie. However, historical fiction is not the genre that I choose, whether that's book or movie. It's not the one that I go to ever. So I was afraid, quite honestly, of getting bored. Yeah, I wanted to see it because, I mean, it's an all-black cast, except for maybe one person who plays a slave trader. But other than that, the entire cast, especially the main cast, is black. And not only, but there is a range of representation in terms of black women and black men in this movie and that's what I wanted to see I mean that's what I want to see all the time and so that's mainly what was bringing me out but of course like I said Viola Davis and um just before I did watch it I was hoping that I would learn a little bit more historically of course now that the movie's out and that people are talking about it some people say that it's not historically accurate so I just I I don't know if what I've learned in this movie is true or not <laughs> but what I will say is that I left that movie theater feeling like I could conquer the world I could do anything I wanted to go ahead uh, start giving my general notes and a general sense of what I liked and what I didn't like I will tell you right now I didn't have anything that I disliked about this movie I was hooked from the very beginning. I was on the edge of my seat. My heart was racing. I was biting my nails. I was sweating. There was a point where I almost cried, where I wanted to cry. It was just so late that I couldn't produce any more tears for the day. And yeah, I experienced a range of emotions in this movie, but leaving there, I felt like I made the perfect decision. I had the perfect sense of judgment in terms of w deciding to watch this movie someone did ask me they were like like oh you know like what movie are you gonna go see today and i was like the woman king and they were like oh are you gonna be doing it for your podcast and i was like if it's good enough <laughs> like and and i don't mean to say like if i think it's good but just if i feel like there's enough to say about it because i don't want to do an episode where I just have maybe one or two things to say about it and then it's a done deal. No, I want to be able to have a discussion about it. And there's so much to talk about within this movie. So I'm very, very excited to dissect it, open it up, and give you all a look inside. There, I'll, I'll go ahead, I'll start with the themes actually, because the themes are very important. Um, and so some themes are very apparent just by watching the trailer. Some themes are more within the narrative and as you watch it. So the biggest one is femininity. And I think this movie offers a different idea of what femininity looks like, you know, especially at this time in the society that we're seeing in this movie. It's an arranged marriage type of society where women are supposed to be more submissive, where men are supposed to be more dominant. In arranged marriages, the woman is pretty much brought in in exchange for money to the family, and she's really just a live-in maid, quite honestly, and childbearer. Their expectations don't go any further than that. To have an all-female to have an all-female warrior troop, the Agoji, it is it makes a statement in terms of women can do both. But at the same time, the Agoji have to give up a part of their femininity or what their kingdom would consider their femininity. So to serve the king, they have to give up bearing children. They have to give up the idea of getting married, all to train and fight. And so some of these women don't join the Agoji by choice. They join by force. They might be captives with no other place to go. But we see the main character and she actually chooses to join. Like she wants to. And she's kind of looked at a little crazy for it because it's like this is the life that you would rather have versus being a mother being a wife 
She's like, yeah, I never once have wanted to get married. To follow a main character who has aspirations other than what is considered the right thing for a woman to do at this time. But even, I mean, today, some religions or just some societal beliefs still carry this sort of idea as well. So to, to follow a main character who would much rather be strong and be dominant and fight for their kingdom instead of doing what's expected of them sends a strong message. The biggest thing that I loved about this movie is that while it does bring a new definition to femininity, yes, they're loud, yes, they're strong, yes, they're dominant, yes, they're big and tall and scary, there's still tiny hints of femininity within all of this aggression and dominance. So one of the characters, her name is Izogi, and her nails are cut, pointed, and sharp, and she uses them as a weapon. Wow. I literally loved that. I uh, love her. So, and there, there's certain, there's just certain things that are said or done in passing that give you that sense of femininity in a atmosphere that is not, or that is the opposite of what you would think is feminine. So, uh, Naoi, who is the main character, asks a captive who she's now training to be an agoji with why she decided to stay. You know, the captives could have left or they could have chosen to do something else, but the one that she's talking to is staying to train and she asks her why. And the captive says, Here I'll be the hunter and not the prey. And while the current story that we're following she was en route to being sold to brazilians as an enslaved woman she the agoji saved her um saved her and all of the other women and i believe there were some men too and took them back to dahomey and while this statement that she makes speaks to that you know she's constantly being hunted to be sold but as a woman she's also hunted for other things she's hunted in terms of being sought out for marriage being sought out to bear children but also sought out sexually men can be the predators in this metaphor and considering that the agoji mainly fight men it's just very fitting Another thing that's said in passing is um, Izogi. They're, you know, training to become a goji, to become a part of the agoji. And she's like, are we training to cook? You're cutting up a body, not an animal. And I thought that was funny because it, it does kind of turn the mirror to this idea of yes you're supposed to be in the kitchen cooking you're supposed to be but that's not what we're doing we're training to literally murder people not to be tossing pots and pans in the kitchen i love those little moments where it just kind of reminded you that while you're watching these women who are tough and brutal and are exactly like the movies that we see of male warriors who are who have the gristle and the brute and everything like that this story is no different and these female warriors don't have to be any different from those male warriors that we're so used to seeing on the screen but at the same time you still need to recognize that yes these are women these aren't women filling the shoes of men. These are women filling the shoes of women. And I loved those constant reminders in very clever and beautiful ways. Especially those nails. Those nails, yeah, that one got me. Another theme that is a little bit more apparent in this movie is the theme of gender roles. 
you see a lot of times in this movie that men struggle to grasp the idea of being second or even equal to women and this is definitely something that we struggle with today as well and so you know when they're sitting around and they're like in their council with the king you have Naniska who is the general of the Agoji and so she's sitting in on this kind of like council meeting with the king and all of his other you know right-hand men and women and wives and stuff and they're talking about how to approach their opposing enemy so to speak in terms of them trying to capture the people of their kingdom to sell them to Europeans. The men in this meeting are approaching it more in terms of, oh, you know, why don't we just give them up to be sold for more weapons so then we can fight them better so that they don't keep trying to sell them. And the women are like, "Mm, no, that literally does not make any sense. You see this act of balance kind of being worked through in this scene. And, you know, the women are saying we should just approach it completely different than the way that we have been because it's just a vicious vicious cycle. We're going to keep selling some more of our people while we trade, trade them for guns. And then we're going to keep fighting these people. And then we're going to sell more of our people. And it's just, it's going to never end. We're going to, it's an endless fight. The goal is to not be fighting anymore this quote by john boyega uh, from tiff 2022 says what's best represented in this movie is how men can be strengthened by connecting with women and vice versa but only when it's genuine and reciprocal and so that scene is just one example of this quote that john boyega spoke how it is connected to this movie there are male warriors who also fight for the king and the kingdom and they work side by side with the agoji and it's cohesive they're on the same side they're on the same page but you also do see men and women butt heads as well you see the king butt heads with naniska you see him butt heads with his wives you have an understanding that at least within the king's quarters it's a more progressive way of running this society there are still those limiting behaviors like the king not wanting his wife to his wives multiple to speak on him to speak on his thoughts or to speak for him he when he tells Naniska to do something or to not do something, he expects her to follow through. And then, you know, when she doesn't or when she disobeys him, it's all of a sudden, you're going to disobey your king? Why am, first of all, why am I your general? Why did you make me general if you're just going to order me around anyways? I just, there's a line to be drawn, I feel like. There are the gender roles and the questioning of them amongst the Agoji and the king and all of them. But there's also, when we first meet Naoi, she is facing an arranged marriage to where she is being told that this is what she's going to, this is what she's supposed to be doing. And, you know, he, right off the bat when he first meets her, like, this is on the first meeting and he's like yeah you're gonna clean my house for me you're going to tend to my olive trees and all this stuff like first of all if i'm just meeting you and you're already giving me a list of chores it's a no it's an automatic no from me but also now we throughout this movie does not want a man she doesn't want a man at all she just wants to fight and So then when she does meet this Brazilian who is half Dahomey, she doesn't really know how to navigate this situation. And, you know, he's actively pursuing her. But any romantic gesture that he makes, she just kind of... She doesn't reject it necessarily. 
she also doesn't accept it. Like, he holds his hand out to help her down from, like, a log or something in the woods. And she just completely doesn't take his hand. She just jumps off of it anyways. And even though that's such a small gesture, it's like, I don't need you. (laughs) Like, I don't need you helping me. Which, I mean, depending on who you ask... They may say that's a problem, and some may say that's not a problem. So, I guess it's subjective. I I feel like the gender roles is something that we were bound to see anyways. Especially when the topic of women in a place that has historically been made for men. That's an automatic kind of conversation starter in this story. And then the last theme that... at least in the trailer was not so apparent but the longer that you actually watch the movie and stay engrossed in the movie you do get this sense of family so the agoji tend to relate on certain stories that all kind of revolve around their family izogi she had trouble with her mother particularly and that trouble led her to finding the agoji and of course Naoi and the problem she had with her family led her to the agoji when you first meet Izogi like you know she she just kind of is like introductory character like this is who she is she's a little bit witty whatever whatever but the longer that the movie goes on you begin to see her as kind of like this sister role model type of person that all the trainees look up to. She directly trains all of the newbies, per se, but they also, in their conversations, say, I can't wait to be like her, like, I want to be just like her, I want to fight just like her, stuff like that. And so you're seeing the way that these newcomers look up to her and the way that she also uses that to positively influence them to encourage them and to build them stronger give them tips everything like that which i think in that is even it's it's very beautiful to witness because you have all of these women who in one way or the other are abandoned from their family and so now they're able to find a family amongst themselves you know there's several moments of these women standing up for each other and and in moments where they don't really have to but they do it because they're all one unit they're all one family another character Aminza who is Naniska's like best friend so to speak sister so to speak steps in and defends a captive who's trained to be an agoji when another agoji is like pretty much trying to have this whole superiority complex with her saying you'll never be nothing like us you're just a captive you're um you know you're just a newbie you have to do you have to work hard to get this and stuff like that and Aminza steps in and is like, you were a captive once too, and so was I. We were all in her shoes, and it took us hard work and dedication to even get to where we're at for you to be able to say what you're saying right now. She was pretty much like, "Mm, so step back, sit down, learn your lane, and good for her. Within the theme of family, there's also the theme of displacement. You know, I I talked about it a little bit just a second ago. I, I started to hit it on the head just in terms of you have all of these people who were displaced from their families I think I said abandoned but I think the better word is displaced they were displaced from their families whether they were taken away or they left themselves or their family abandoned them and now they're trying to find their way while also trying to find a sense of family you know now we finding family in these women and then when we meet Malik, who is half Brazilian, half Dahomey, or half European, half Dahomey, um, we learn that, you know, his mother is from that kingdom, and he is there to pretty much embrace his heritage. I don't even, I mean, I wouldn't say that's 
necessarily a spoiler. It's not. And so that just adds an extra layer onto this idea of family and finding that amongst feeling displaced. You know, th- those are really the only themes that I would say I found in this movie. Those were the three main ones. I think that this movie is a great display of revenge for torture and abuse. And of course, particularly for black people, but also for women. And this movie is a good example of just that intersectionality of being a black woman. You have the trauma that comes with being a black person in general, the trauma and the conflict that you may run into day to day, but then you also have the struggles and trauma of being a woman as well. At this time in this movie, it translates differently compared to today. Being a black woman in America is still kind of dangerous. You still run into dangers on a daily basis. So in this movie, you see men in positions of power. For this movie to be entitled The Woman King, it just kind of reiterates the idea that at least in this kingdom and in this society that they've built, women are not seen. And well, that's the troubling concept because the king himself has multiple wives and the arranged marriage is allowed within his kingdom and all this other stuff but then to have female warriors and so it's hard to say that the title the woman king reiterates this idea that this society and this kingdom run off of the progressiveness of seeing women in men's shoes in places that are traditionally um, patriarchal because when you take a when you step back and look at the society as a whole there's it's not much more progressive it's not as progressive as that and so yeah I was gonna say I was, what I was originally gonna say I don't agree with (laughs) some of the things that I did like I know I mentioned a few but I'm just going to reiterate them for a little bit more organization in terms of okay what was it that you really liked Avery so I really did love the fighting choreography in this movie it was crisp brutal and yet very very feminine I kind of said that a little bit before just in terms of the women themselves are portrayed as being very being very very tough and very you know kind of just the way that you see male warriors they're no different um they have that brute they have that grit and yet they still have that femininity and it doesn't lose that and i like that idea because even today when men see women who are muscular they go to the gym just as much as any other man would to build their muscles sometimes even like they want to be bodybuilders and so they'll see women who have as much muscle and as much build as they do but then they'll say i'm just not attracted to women like that it because they kind of strip them of their femininity just because they have a trait that is inherently considered to be more masculine and so this movie just destroys that whole argument altogether and is like I can be masculine I can be tough I can be I can have muscle I can fight for myself I can respect like I can have all of these traits that you consider to be masculine that you consider to be something other than what a woman should typically have I can have all of them and not lose my femininity whatsoever. And that was, it was just, it was like there were constant reminders in this movie, like I was saying before, with the nails and with the little comments here and there, and even with their wardrobe and just their way of talking and acting around each other. The Agoji did have to give up um, childbearing and marriage, which are two things that are considered very, very feminine 
quote unquote, but they still, those are still parts of the conversations. And there are some women in the Agoji that wish that they could still have children, that sometimes wish they could be married, but they still put that aside to be able to just have that control over their bodies and over their destinies. I also enjoyed the representation of culture between the spirituality and the dancing and the fashion. Aminza, there was one point where she was asked to, well, no, she wasn't asked, but she was like, let's ask the spirits what you should do. Of course, I don't know if this is a, a clear representation after reading some of the reviews and stuff, but I she pulled out this box that had um, sand in it and she was using some some other type of tool to communicate with a higher power or multiple higher powers and so I liked this representation that their religion slash spirituality it, it didn't feel like a whitewashed idea of what their belief system was it felt like a very authentic perspective of it and so it was cool to see whether this is 100% true to the the real story or not it was cool to see a different type of belief system amongst black people and of course their fashion and their dancing especially in hollywood and the media we're not used to seeing black royalty. I know that there are even some people who don't even know that there were and still are monarchies in Africa. And so to be able to even have that representation and to be able to look at part of black people's lineage altogether and say, we were once royalty, we were stripped down of it, and you know they try to make us forget it and they try to dig it and bury it deep 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 but this is who we once were and we should still have the possibility we should still see ourselves as that not saying of course we should have monarchies today as black people i mean by all means if that's what needs to be if that's what needs to be done whatever but what i'm saying is just the the concept of royalty and and riches and beauty and prosperity and where all of the narratives that have been told about black people in the media like like fictional media has all been about slavery has all been about Jim the Jim Crow era has all been about some sort of linkage to our trauma as black people and that's a part of the history yes but the thing about this movie and this is of course just my opinion I've seen other reviews that say otherwise but this movie the slave trade played a background character to the actual story the story was a result to the slave trade and yes, they talked about it, and that was the main reason why they were fighting. But I I just feel like all of the movies that we see about slavery and about the slave trade is from the white person's perspective or the after they've already been forced out of their home country and brought to wherever they're being brought to. So we see them after the passage has happened so to kind of rewind the timeline and say this is where it started, um, it was a different. It was a different way of looking at something historically like that. Went on a little bit of a tangent, but anyways, I also did like the development of Naniska's character. Now I won't get too much into details because this is um, the spoiler-free part of the episode, but. The more that you watch it, when it first opens up, of course, Naoi is kind of the main-ish character, the protagonist. Um, but Naniska plays, I would say, secondary to her. And so when you meet her, you don't really know who this person is, where she comes from. And so the longer that you watch it, the more layers that are peeled back and you're able to see 
who she once was and who she is today and the linkage between those two. Another part of representation that I really enjoyed in this movie was Malik, who was Brazilian. He represented multiculturalism slash multiracial products of the, uh, I hate the word products, but results of the slave trade. I think that, of course, me being in America and being taught the education that I was taught, you only really learn about slavery from the point of view of America. But to see it kind of from the perspective of an Afro-Latino instead was also, I think, a cool spin on this historical moment. Because Malik, his mother was from Dahomey, but his father was European from Brazil. He was a white Brazilian. You know, he's speaking Portuguese and he has that accent in him. Well, he, I mean, he's able to pass as white. And you see that. He's with his his friend who, first of all, oh my gosh, let's talk about this. Because I was seeing something online that was saying like, oh, the kid from After really can't act. He just is portraying Harry Styles, right? And if you've seen After, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you've saved yourself. You have saved yourself. And I'm happy for you. But side, this is a little side story. After is a movie that was adapted from a book. That book was adapted from a fan fiction that I used to read when I was in middle school. That fan fiction was about One Direction, particularly Harry Styles. So then it was adapted into a book, Harry's name changed to Harden, and then in the movie, they casted, his name is Hero Fianis Tiffin. Ever since that franchise has come out, everybody talks about how terrible his acting is. No, he really can't act because look at how he portrays this character in The Woman King. He's got it. He's just playing Harry or who he thinks Harry Styles is. So that was a that was a a little backstory not needed. But he he did really good in this movie. I absolutely hated him. I wanted to jump through that screen and strangle him myself. The character that he plays is Santo Ferreira, and so he and Malik, because of, you know, how light his skin is, he's able to pass as white as well. And so they've grown up together and they come to Dahomey to participate in the slave trade. Malik, his motive is just to be able to see his mother's homeland. And I think that part of the story didn't really make sense to me because... Like, you know what's going on. You know what you came here for. And that plays a large part into the narrative. And it would be a spoiler for me to give it away. So I'm not. But that should motivate you to watch this movie and then come back to listen to the rest of it. Because I will be getting into that. Because I, mm-hmm, yeah, that's another part that I that I kind of liked. But yeah, I did like how he, you know, stood to represent that multiculturalism and multi that multiracial perspective of the slave trade as well. And there's so many more things for me to say on that. So just know that point that there are many other points in that point to be made. And then my last like, which is just kind of overall, there were so many strong emotions from the women throughout this movie. And I'm very, very glad that even though John Boyega was in this movie, to me, he just played a background character, quite honestly. He was really only there for plot progression. And so I loved how that gave the spotlight to the women of this story. And of course, you know, you can say, well, it is called The Woman King. It is about this. But let's be real here. We've seen stories that are supposed to be about women made into somehow about men, one way or the other. Whether it's a man saving the woman from harm or the man being the one that, you know, kind of like was the anchor for the woman or whatever the case was. It's always like, here's a man here to save you. 
So, yeah. Um, but yeah, there were so many strong emotions. There was anger. There was grief. There was sadness. There was joy. There was happiness. It was, it was all... And you felt every single emotion with them. And like I was saying, I was hooked from the very, very beginning. The opening scene, like, did so much for that. From that opening scene you were with them emotionally and mentally and it was it was just a beautiful experience quite honestly so and like i said i don't have any dislikes i guess the only thing that i would say that i dislike and i don't know if this is just like a bias with the character like i don't like the character's choices <laughs> or if it's narratively a flaw but malik his mother is from dahomey right you visit there to make deals about the slave trade with your white friend. But, like, why, if you have that connection, and especially your mother just died, and you have this connection to this, to her homeland, and you go to visit there, but under the terms and conditions that you're visiting there, morally, ethically, it just doesn't make sense. But that's all I'm going to say on that because, like I said, I have so much more to say. That would be a spoiler. And I, another thing that I really did like, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, uh, my expectations for the movie. I was originally very, very excited just to see Viola Davis in a different role. You know, we've seen her in How to Get Away with Murder. We've seen her in in Fences. We've seen her in The Help. So it's all of these very emotionally charged movies but never is it so physically enduring of a mo- of a of a movie or a TV show and so i even before you know this movie came out i was seeing stuff that she was posting and talking about how her physical training for this movie was just so intense and actually filming the movie was just so intense and so, you know, that's really what got me excited to watch this. And when she was asked in an interview for TIFF 2022, um, she was explaining how this movie changed her perception of success and what that means to her. The interviewer had asked, like, um, how has this movie changed you, really? And that, that was her answer. And she further explained how hitting the glass ceiling doesn't mean success. It means significance. And now that I'm free, my purpose is to free others. And that w- that's what Woman King means to me. And she, there's been several interviews where she has said something similar to this, just in terms of she got into acting because she had a passion for it. She loved being able to bring magic onto the screen. And once she actually started to be successful in it she realized that she was spending more time with people that she didn't know or didn't like and she wasn't spending enough time with those people that she loved and liked so much and it just became an experience that there was there was no longer fun for her no longer enjoyable and she felt like she wasn't getting anything out of it and in a sense she lost her purpose And so through this movie, it helps her to find her purpose once more. The entire cast and crew realizes exactly what they're doing with this movie and how just just based off of how hard it was to even get it onto the screen. Producer Kathy Schulman was explaining the importance of a movie like this succeeding in the box office. And she said, it was really hard to convince the studio that this was a majority opportunity, not a minority one. And it really took statistics and a really hard research academically to start changing the norms. It's just insane to me that in 2022, although we see so much messaging about diversity, representation, Black Lives Matter, um, embrace marginalized groups, embrace, you know, all of this different stuff. And yet they had to literally fight to even get this movie produced. And so now that it's produced, it's on the screen and it literally has above a 90% Rotten Tomatoes score for both audience and critic. Everybody loves this movie. 
and they realize just the work that's being done um, through this, through the art that they've created. And I think that's powerful in itself. So with that being said, I'm going to end off on that note. <laughs> if you have not seen the movie and you don't want it to get spoiled, this is your time to click off. I appreciate you for coming out today, tonight, whenever you're listening to it. And of course, don't worry, once you go see the movie, come back, your seat will stay warm, I'll have a snack for you, and it'll be a good time. We can talk all the spoilers, all the tea, all the shade, but mostly tea. And if you are here because you've watched the movie or you just don't care about getting it spoiled, I do not judge, it's great to still have you. I, I'm going to be honest though, in terms of spoilers, I, I like, I've talked a lot in the beginning with no spoilers because this movie where it is historical fiction, a lot of the things are just public knowledge or like, you know, part of history. So it's like, mm, not really spoiling anything, but because we were just talking about Malik and all of that, I'll go ahead and address that first since it's fresh on the top of our dome. So Malik's character actually played a significant role in this movie. And I know what I just said about how this movie, um, all of the men are pretty much in the background. And they are. And I think that's why in the end we saw Naoi and Malik not choose each other. Because, or specifically Naoi not choosing Malik because she had she wanted to stay in her homeland and fight for what she believed in fight for what her um, sisters believed in so that was an important part to the narrative as well but even with Malik playing as much of a background character as he was metaphorically speaking he still had a very a very large significance into the telling of the underlying story you know you have your main story that is clear to see but then there's so many other things working behind the curtains and his character his character's backstory his motives and his choices along the way were also working into the story as well and so how i was talking about his mother being from dahomey and him coming in the middle of the slave trade with his little friend santo to discuss business and i just don't i personally don't understand that but it was for the plot it was for the plot because you see how like there's there's a conversation between him and naoi where she's like you're literally friends with this guy this guy's trying to take my my people away and you're just okay with it. And Malik is like, I grew up with him, you know, da 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 Just kind of being very complacent because it's someone that he's close with, that, he's, that he grew up with, that he knows that, you know, on the surface he might look bad, but he's really not a bad guy. We all know someone who is going to stick up for someone who makes poor ethical or moral decisions, even though they shouldn't and so i think that this moment in the movie speaks to a lot of things in our current day society that gives us an opportunity to reflect and then further on in the movie when he does make active decisions pretty much out of love i think that's that's the way that this narrative leads us to believe but i would also hope that what also drives him to make the decisions he does is the idea that these people are my mom's people. Any one of these people could be my mom. And I wouldn't want them to be treated the way that I've witnessed them being treated while I'm here. When the entire port is getting burned down in the end of the movie and Santo is trying to, you know, he ends up taking like a bundle of of enslaved men and puts them on a boat because it's like well if i'm if i'm being forced to leave at least i'm gonna leave with something i'm literally gonna throw up and so in that moment malik makes the active decision to cut all of the men free and santo's like no no what are you doing what are you like you know having a whole temper tantrum and when i tell you 
when those men get free and they start they got a target on santo's back and i'm glad i am happy for them i was in that movie i wanted to start cheering because i just love retribution i i love it with all my heart santo seemed to know that that's what was coming like he knew that 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 was gonna happen there's been a lot of conversation in terms of what slavery looked like and even now how black people are not given the resources that they need to be able to obtain prosperity and wealth and health and everything that a basic human should be able to have because our oppressors are fearful of what we might do with those resources and so I just really, the the end scene was so good, and it was really Malik's shining moment. And yeah, I'm glad Santo's dead. Uh, I'll work backwards. And so, Naniska's character, I really loved the unfolding of her as well. The first moment that we kind of get a hint of who this woman is, is when the male general from there the army general from the oil kingdom i i don't want to pronounce his name because i don't want to pronounce it wrong but when he shows up naniska has a very physical reaction to his presence and that's what kind of first alerts you that mm, something about this man is not right she knows this man somehow and there's there's some sort of backstory that was that could have been traumatic and so then we're giving flat we're given flashbacks of some sort of emotional and harmful memory that naniska has and it leads you to believe all right this man had something to do with it what was it exactly we don't know but but it it revolves him in some way so then we're giving we're given more of those flashbacks until we grasp the idea that this man sexually harmed her. Yes, they're fighting the oil for the fact that they're trying to sell their own people to enslavers from Europe. But we have this personal vendetta um that Naniska is trying to obtain or trying to achieve and i think that just goes further into the idea of the intersectionality of being black and being a woman because in this movie you know it's it's been talked about a few times where it's just like well here at least i won't be the i won't be hunted i'll be the hunter i won't be the prey i'll be the hunter i'm pretty sure that's exactly how she said it that kind of just creates more of like a a circular narrative in a way where Naniska was once the prey and now she has a target on her abuser's back and she's going right after him and that's what makes the end scene as well so satisfying and so there's so much momentum within it because this whole time especially after we learn that he's the one who had abused her and harmed her it it builds that tension builds that momentum to where you're like I can't wait for her to get her hands on him I cannot wait for that moment there's two fighting scenes in this movie between Naniska and the general from the oil kingdom and in both scenes it's intense because you can tell it's personal but you also see that Naniska is a little bit more emotionally affected by his presence and he just doesn't really pay her no mind. Or if he does look at her, it's not even like a... Like he doesn't... In, in some narratives where um, the abuser and the abused are like face to face, sometimes the abuser will rub it in their face and they'll, you know, like they'll make jokes about it or something like that. But he doesn't say anything about it, almost as if he doesn't remember it at all. That might even make Naniska even more upset or more mad because it's like, do you not remember me? Do you not remember what you did to me? (laughs) 
I don't think there's ever a moment that she actually addresses it with him. She literally just wants to see him killed. And good for her. All along in this movie where where we learn that Naniska or not Naniska, um, we learn that the Ogoji cannot bear children, they cannot get married, right? But then once we learn more about Naniska and we also learn that what happened to her resulted in her giving birth to a child it's like mm, what happened to this child i feel like it's a it's a plot point that could be easy easily inferred just because in most movies where it's like you have a mother who doesn't know where her adopted daughter is and then you have this girl who doesn't have a, a family or is adopted it's like obviously their mother and daughter but I think where Naoi abandoned her family because they didn't treat her right and she was okay with the idea of not necessarily having a family seeing a a family in the agoji themselves and then learning that she has a mother I think that her reaction is not what is to be expected she kind of rejected the idea of actually having a mother Every time that Naniska tried to maternally embrace her, not necessarily physically, but emotionally, uh, Naoi was very, was very rejective towards that. And I think switching up emotions in that way is one way of just further intriguing the audience, you know? It's kind of like when I was talking about the craft in, I think it was two episodes ago, and I was talking about Rachel True's reaction to um, that girl losing her hair. And, she, you know, she was talking about, well, I knew that any other person would probably portray this as being happy because you're getting what, you're, what you wanted this entire movie. But to portray a more troubled emotional response is a little bit more intriguing of the character. You're like, why is she responding this way? And I think that's the same case for this one as well, where she's not all of a sudden happy that she finally has a mom, but she's showing a more troubled reaction because I think that's even more realistic. We expect her to react a specific way. And by her going against that grain, it just shows the um, dynamics of human emotion. I think that it's a movie um, everyone should make a point to see, especially if you're interested in black history, because this is black history. And, you know, there's a there's a difference in African-American history. There's a, you know, between just African history, but all of it is black history. So even even if this isn't historically accurate, it can still intrigue you to look into the subject more. And I think that's one thing about this movie is that it's sparking conversations about the history of black people before they were before they were pretty much ripped from their homelands. The cast portrayed this story, told this story very, very well. Each choice for casting the character was made perfectly. I loved the just the representation in terms of body type and skin color. There there are so many more black people than the same actress that you rotate in and out of every movie. No hate to those actresses at all because I know that it's not really on them but more of the the casting directors and the directors themselves on letterboxd i did rate it a five out of five stars which is insane because i haven't rated a movie five stars in a really long time <laughs> i don't even know the last movie that i rated a five stars yeah definitely go check that out on letterboxd because it is up ready for, for you all to read and like my letterbox is Avery C O F. You can also find me on Instagram at the Unbound Cinefem Pod. Now that's where I post all of the upcoming episodes, fun TikToks, um, any sort of like movie fun facts, 
different lists. I think my most recent list was talking about music in movies and my personal favorite uses of music in movies. So definitely check that out. Let me know what your favorite uses of music are in movies. And then my Twitter is at the Unbounced I just kind of post updates. Every time I go to watch a movie, I just tweet, update, going to see this movie. And then I'll quote tweet it and I'll say whatever I thought about it. And sometimes they're they're entire threads. Sometimes they're just two tweets. But either way, you just kind of get a little glimpse of um, my life as a movie watcher. As always, please reach out to me, follow me, tell me what you think about the show, tell me what you think about new movies, everything. I want to know your all's thoughts. I want to pick your brains just as I open my brain up for you all to pick every single week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to review it, rate it, subscribe to it, whatever, however you want to show your support. I... I would appreciate it, and I will catch you next week.